and there's intimacy on the radio and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. The marvelous resurgence of radio as a political force in this country. News-related radio programming is evolving. There's a huge hole in our dialogue that can be filled by the synthesis of traditional radio and the freedom that comes from a live podcast. You're about to experience Cowboy State Politics Live. Here we go. my friends and welcome to yet another incredible installment of cowboy state politics live from very high above all other puerile and insipid forms of wyoming mainstream media this is cowboy state politics i of course am your illustrious host david iverson firmly ensconced behind the silver cowboy state politics microphone and broadcasting to you from the base of the Bighorns in our Northern Command in Sheridan, Wyoming. I'm David Iverson and welcome to the program. Good morning, my friends, and welcome to the program. All around us, we see collusion of a whole bunch of different forms. There's collusion between our government and private enterprise. There's collusion between private enterprise and the media, which both of those are private corporations, so you really can't say too much about that. There's collusion between the government and corporate media. And all of us are left out here to wonder what the heck is going on. A lot of people toss terms out, such as fascist and communist and socialist. And at times, perhaps you could could say that I'm guilty of that as well. But all of those terms have meaning. And what we're experiencing right now is a form of fascism. By its very definition, fascism is a partnership between the government and private enterprise. Private enterprise really doesn't, in in true forms of fascism, private enterprise really doesn't own the company. Well, yeah, I mean, their name is on the piece of paper and they own the property and they own the company, but it is the government that directs them on what to do. Perhaps there, there has been no greater example of that than what vaccine manufacturers Moderna and Pfizer were doing um, and during the during the pandemic, the government directed them basically to produce a vaccine, and it really isn't a vaccine; it's an mRNA research tool. But the government directed them to come up with it, and then through a partnership between the pharmaceutical manufacturers and the government, um, they distributed the vaccine to all of us. Now, none of us were told at the time that Pfizer and Moderna were making a tremendous amount of money off of it, but they were. In fact, the United States government is part owner in the vaccine. All of this came to light through an extensive report uh, from The Blaze. Now, if you, I'll post it, I'll go back and see if I can find it so you can listen to the whole thing, but it's fascinating and it reveals a broad collusion between government and private enterprise. And it's not just the federal government we're talking about. Several, a long time ago, I did an episode called They're in Bed with Lobbyists. 
And what was going on at the time, it was around October of 2021. The state of Wyoming decided that they were going to hold a special session to decide what to do with vaccine mandates. And a number of our state representatives and senators voted against it. And I got to think, well, you know, this is Wyoming. And even if you're a liberal here, you, 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 you shouldn't want the government messing around in the state's business. And so I asked myself, hey, self, why would these people be voting against having a special session to deal with vaccine mandates? And so I got to digging into their camp, all of the people that voted against this having the special session. I started digging into all of their campaign finance funding. And as it turned out, every single one of them that voted against having a special session took money from Pfizer or the Wyoming medical or hospital lobby. Every single one of them. And most of them also took money from the Wyoming Education Association. So here you have you have a, a public private partnership that begins at the federal government that involves private companies, allegedly private companies, Moderna and Pfizer, that reaches into state government. And then state government convinces local municipalities to enforce radical mandates. All of us lived through the mask mandate, though in most Wyoming communities, it didn't last very long. In Buffalo, uh, it only lasted like a week or two. And the only reason for that is none of us really had any idea of what was going on. And then we all found out that Governor Mark Gordon issued a state of emergency when there was one person in the state who was hospitalized because of COVID-19. Our governor said that he was issuing a state of emergency because our hospitals were going to be overrun and we had to prevent that. But none of that happened. There was no emergency. And then our governor refused to rescind his state of emergency. In fact, over a year and a half later, the governor, in his own op-ed that was published on the CalPi, said the reason why we have to continue with the state of emergency is because of federal funding. My point here being, my friends, is that all of us are involved in one giant collusion. It's not just a narrative, but it's a, it's a plan, really. And I know that that sounds conspiratorial, and I don't mean it to be that way. Uh, but it really is when you take a step back and you look at it objectively. We're all involved in it. Now, most of us are 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 doing things unbeknownst to to ourselves. You know, we're not we're not actively going out and saying, "Hey, I'm going to participate in this whole thing when a public-private partnership." No, we don't do that. But because we are unaware most of the time, uh, we go along with it, like lemmings jumping off of a cliff or sheep following the sheepdog. The only thing here, though, is that all of it is is an attempt to take away our rights and instill more and more power in those those people who are elected or think, think that they are in positions of power. And it emanates from the bottom all the way up to the top and from the top all the way down. You know, this got me thinking uh, yesterday about the, the farewell address that President Ike Eisenhower or Dwight D. Eisenhower gave when he was leaving office, and he delivered it the night before he was going, the night before he was going to hand over power. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people think that he was just talking about the, the military industrial complex, but he was talking about a lot more than that. In fact, he listed off several different areas where there could be a giant industrial complex that that was created. He talks about the media. He talks about information technology companies, though at the time, you know, he, he probably couldn't even have conceived, well, maybe he could have, but I don't think that he could have conceived that 
that the internet would become what it is, that information technology would become as pervasive as it has. But certainly he had an idea of the potentiality of a lot of these things. And so where I'd like to begin this morning is just to revisit Ike's speech and to talk about what he was, uh, what he was afraid of and what he was warning about. So take a, take a listen to this, and then we'll talk about it. In the councils of government, we must car- guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals. Now, hold on just a second. He said only an informed people can guard against it. Now, I mean, that's pretty clear, right? that all of us have to be informed as to what's going on. But most of us aren't. Most of us go about our daily lives and you know we, we think that the government is acting in our best interest. Certainly they are telling us that. Think about projects in your local community. You know, they tell you that they have to raise taxes because they have to fix that street or that street. And then they tell you that we should have this tax in perpetuity. That's happening in Natrona County right now. They tried it in Buffalo, Wyoming. Too bad I live there, and we put a stop to that. They were trying to tax people for the next 20 years for a whole litany of projects. They wouldn't list them out exactly what they were. They just said we had to have this tax. And think about your own local community. How many times have you heard elected officials say, we have to raise the sales tax so that we can fix that street or that street? But my friends, taxes are rarely rescinded. When's the last time you heard of a a government body saying we're actually going to decrease your taxes or we're going to eliminate one? That doesn't happen. And the reason it doesn't happen is most of us are uninformed. And when it comes to the the industrial complex that Eisenhower was warning about, I mean, it takes a much, much more involved populace to, to understand and realize what's happening to them. But most of us don't do that. We put our heads in the sand and we just assume that our elected officials are acting in our best interests. And more often than not, unfortunately, they're not. Let's listen to a little bit more of what Eisenhower had to say. So that security and liberty may prosper together. Akin to and largely responsible for the sweeping changes in our industrial military posture has been the technological revolution during recent decades. In this revolution, research has become central. It also becomes more formalized, complex, and costly. A steadily increasing share is conducted for, by, or at the direction of the federal government. Today, the solitary inventor, tinkering in his shop, has been overshadowed by task forces of scientists in laboratories and testing fields. In the same fashion, The free university, historically the fountainhead of free ideas. Okay, let's just stop right there just for a second. He said that all of the technological advances are at the behest of the federal government. Now, just think about big technology companies right now. Many, many of them are subsidized by our tax dollars. 
that they're that they're they're produced by and in for the benefit of the federal government. Think about how many uh, research companies and university, almost all universities, get grants from the federal government. All of it is an attempt to take away your liberty in one way or another. Uh, later on in the program, we're going to continue talking about what the IRS is doing. Just recently, the Federal Reserve came out and announced a, basically what they were saying was a, uh, a, a digital currency. Imagine the implications of that. You know, with the technology to produce a digital currency, they'll essentially take away your freedom. Because, and this is, this is fascinating, but one of the planks on the Republican Party platform is that your economic freedom is directly tied to your personal freedom. That if you don't have the, the freedom to make and spend money in the way that you see fit, you really don't have any freedom at all. And if the federal government is in control of all of that, well, I mean, you can kiss your freedom goodbye. Eisenhower was was very, very prophetic when he warned of the dangers of this technological collusion with the federal government. Let's listen to a little bit more. And scientific discovery has experienced a revolution in the conduct of research, partly because of the huge costs involved, a government contract becomes virtually a substitute for intellectual curiosity. For every old blackboard, there are now hundreds of new electronic computers. The prospect of domination of the nation's scholars by federal employment, project allocations, and the power of money is ever-present and is gravely to be regarded. Yet in holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. Two words, climate change. Think about how many things are they are trying to relate to it. In our own state, our governor is pushing this dumb idea of carbon capture. The technology exists to capture all of this carbon right out of the air, and we're going to make the environment better all the time disregarding the scientific fact that CO2 is literally plant food. There was a debate on the floor of the House where, and this was uh, two years ago, I believe, and what they were talking about is authorizing funding for this CO2 carbon capture project. And one of the, uh, one of the representatives got up and he said, you know, this is a great deal. If it works, we're going to make a whole heck of a lot of money. But if there's a crack in the ground and all of this CO2 escapes, oh, well, they don't even believe it's going to work, my friends. All of it is just an attempt to take more and more of your money and thus more and more of your freedom. It's all of it. Now, what I've put together for you today is and it might you might it might sound a little conspiratorial, but I'm trying I'm going to try to show you how all of the things, not all of the things, but many of the things that you're seeing in the news are a direct example of the partnership between the public sphere, that is the federal government and state government, and in some cases, your own municipal government and private enterprise and how they're all in it together. And again, I know it sounds like I've got my tinfoil hat on and perhaps I do. Well, now I left that one at home today. 
But when you start putting all of the pieces together, it's easy to see. After the break, we're going to start with the American Library Association. And we're just going to go from there to Hunter Biden. And I've got a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of different articles in my stack of stuff. And we'll just go through them. And in the end, uh, you'll be left with the conclusion of, yeah, they're all in it together. So we'll do that after the break. But first, an absolutely outrageous profit timeout. We'll get back to the program in just a second. But first, some completely egregious self-aggrandizement. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. iTunes, iHeartRadio... Tune in. Really, any of them will work. But the easiest way is just to go to the website, cowboystatepolitics.com. There you can find all of the shows, as well as any of the articles that I might bring up during the course of a program. If your name is Sleepy Joe Biden and you're dumber than a box of rocks, well, you can go to cowboystatepolitics.com, pull up an article, and educate yourself, just like you should have been doing before you decided to run for office. New episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And don't forget about the Thursday live episode that begins every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. You know, the show you're listening to right now. You can find the link at CowboyStatePolitics.com or on the Cowboy State Politics Facebook page. Have you been looking for a new place to advertise your business? Well, I'd suggest advertising on this program, Cowboy State Politics. It's Wyoming's most listened-to podcast. Now, the difference between advertising on the radio and on a podcast is most people just have the radio playing in the background, and they're not actively listening to your message. People who download a podcast are there to listen to the whole thing, so you can be sure that your message will be heard. I have a statewide platform, and no one is going to beat my advertising rates. Shoot me a message. The address is david at cowboystatepolitics.com. I would love to get that conversation started with you. And now, back to the program. As it relates to that, make sure that you subscribe and follow the podcast. And you can do that from the website. If you look at, if you pull up cowboystatepolitics.com, there's a big box that lists all of the episodes in it. Up in the top right hand corner, there's a couple little icons. You click those and you can subscribe and follow the program. Also, I'd encourage you to download the Podbean app. That way, that you can be notified when there's a brand new episode of the program or when there's a special live episode. In the coming days and weeks and months, frankly, there's going to be a lot of changes coming. Uh, right now, I'm working on building a new studio. That's where I'm at right now in Cowboy State Politics Northern Command. So we're going to be doing a lot more content, and there's a lot of really cool stuff that's going to be happening with the program. And you won't know about it unless you subscribe and follow the program. So you can do that uh, from the website, or if you get onto Podbean, you can do that there. So first up on our stack of stuff, from the cow pie, in an article entitled Freedom Caucus Wants Wyoming to Quit American Library Association, Governor is Contemplating. And I quote, Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon is reviewing the Wyoming State Library's connection to the American Library Association over apparent political differences. 
Gordon is reviewing the connection between the national ALA and the state's libraries, Michael Perlman, the government's governor's spokesman, said in a Wednesday statement to the cowboy state uh, cowpie. Quote, the governor recognizes the valuable role libraries play in civic life, life as a place for accessing information, learning, and as a repository for history and knowledge, reads Perlman's statement. He is firmly committed to defending the First Amendment, a key tenet of our Constitution. Gordon believes a free society must value open and age-appropriate dialogue, the statement says. But Gordon has serious concerns about whether the American Library Association is politicized under its current leadership. Quote, we're working together with the state librarian to assess the value of the state's current leadership with and membership in the American Library Association. First of all, my friends, the American Library Association really doesn't have all that much to do with libraries at all. <laughs> really, it's become a political activist outfit. In fact, if you go to the American Library Association website and you click anywhere off of their off of their front homepage, you'll find a reference to some sort of LGBTQ ideology or agenda. It's all over the place. In fact, they have this group that's called the Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual and Transsexual Roundtable. That's their activist arm. And it has its roots in Wyoming. A very long time ago, at the beginning of cowboy state politics, I did a deep dive into the American Library Association, and I discovered this gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transsexual roundtable. And wouldn't you know it that the current treasurer of the American Library Association and head of this gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transsexual roundtable was the dean of libraries at the University of Wyoming. Let me just repeat that for you. One of the head people at the American Library Association used to be the dean of libraries at the University of Wyoming. Now, I tried to look for the episode before the program, um, and it's going to take me some digging because it was a long time ago. Uh, but this lady, and again, I'll find the episode and I'll bring it to you. We'll rehash it on Weekend Update. But she once wrote an article in this obscure magazine called The Machiavellian. Now, it's important, to, it's important to know who Machiavelli was to understand the importance of this article she wrote in, in their ridiculous magazine. Well, Machiavelli was a 15th century uh, political philosopher, I guess you would call him. Um, he wrote, wrote a little book called The Prince. And to put it simply, The Prince is the Dictator's Handbook. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's better to be feared than loved? Well, that's Machiavelli. Really, Machiavelli, uh, when he wrote The Prince, he meant it as an instruction manual on how to get people to do what you want to do. So this article that was written in the Machiavellian, literally, (laughs) her article is literally how to use your, your library to advance social change, to be an activist, to turn your library into an arm of activism. That is one of the head people at the American Library Association and one of the head people at their gay, lesbian, and bisexual, transsexual roundtable. 
So a lot of what you're seeing from the American Library Association does have very strong links to the University of Wyoming, at least the staff does anyhow. So a lot of these things that you're seeing in the national media uh, with, with library books and the American Library Association, don't think that it's disconnected from where we live because it absolutely is not. I mean, like I said, she used to be the dean of libraries at the University of Wyoming. Make sure you turn into Saturday's episode where we'll do another deep dive into this lady. Trust me, it's going to blow your mind. So going back to the cow pie, quote, Gordon's statement came after the Montana State Library Commission voted July 11th to break from the American Library Association because of the organization's current president is a self-identified Marxist. While Montana's library system is run by a commission, Wyoming's system is under an appointed director ultimately answerable to Governor Mark Gordon. So what's happening at the Wyoming State Library is directly under the direction of Mark Gordon. Last week, I brought you, brought you the story of how the Wyoming State Library sponsored a class on how to get uh, liberal Democrats elected to office, how to fight right-wing extremism. Go back and listen to that episode. I mean, it's fascinating. Now, remember, the Wyoming State Library is under the direction of Mark Gordon. And so if these things are happening at our state library, guess who is ultimately responsible? And because they are in in partnership with the American Library Association, well, I mean, that, that president is an avowed Marxist, a public one, too. Usually usually people who are Marxist kind of keep that under their hat, though it's become you know more prevalent these days and fashionable, I suppose, to come out and say, well, yeah, I'm a communist or a Marxist. Didn't used to be that way. Usually if you were of those of that line of thinking, you would kind of keep it under your hat. But now it's become more fashionable. So there are serious problems with the American Library Association. Now, literally, how does that connect to your local library? Well, uh, in a lot of library boards across the state, I brought you the story of Fremont County uh, just last week. Um, there are some pretty radical people that are on the school board. Certainly, you could look at or school board, the, the library board, rather. Certainly, you could look at Gillette. Think about all of the things that have happened there. There are some radical people that are on that library board, though the chairman, uh, chairwoman is Sage Bear, the wife of State Representative John Bear. She's trying to make a lot of changes in the library um, over there. But just think about all of the connections. Now, literally what your local library does is they take a list of books from the American Library Association, which almost all of them have some sort of LGBTQ ideology attached to them on a recommended list. And because they're the American Library Association, libraries statewide, just go ahead and order them. And this includes libraries in your school system. Now, let's be honest and perhaps a little bit more fair about it. Uh, most librarians do not have the time to go through and read every single book that they're, that they're ordering. I gave you the list, a big list of books from Fremont County that they ordered. There's hundreds of books on that list. And so under the, under the, uh, recommendation of the American Library Association, our libraries just order these books and put them on the shelves. Because, of course, why wouldn't they be good? The American Library Association is recommending them. So you see that you have a direct connection between an activist group and government entities in the state of Wyoming and in your local hometown. Now, albeit it's kind of a tenuous, you know, kind of a remote connection, but it's still there. And then there's Hunter Biden. 
Now, if you didn't see in the news yesterday, Hunter Biden's plea deal went up in smoke. And it's kind of complicated why. Uh, But our first article comes from The Federalist. And I quote, it's an article by John Daniel Davidson entitled Hunter Biden's plea deal was supposed to protect his father. You see, this none of this really relates to Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden is a criminal. He's been a criminal his entire life. Uh, He's a drug addict. Um, He's addicted to prostitution and pornography. I mean, just look at the results that came off of his laptop. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. That's Russian disinformation. Anyway, Davidson writes, and I quote, the twists and turns of Hunter Biden's sweetheart plea deal have been hard to follow, but it's been clear from the outset, like his business ventures in Ukraine, the deal was thoroughly corrupt. It's now clear that the agreement was never meant primarily to shield Hunter from future prosecution, but to protect President Joe Biden. The deal fell apart, however, once a federal judge overseeing the case, Mary Ellen Noreka, started asking questions. Here's how the New York Times reported it. Now, this is amazing. The New York Times reporting that Hunter's plea deal imploded. (laughs) Okay, so if the New York Times is reporting this, then it's absolutely true. Uh, Not just not because they're credible, but because they'll try to avoid the truth at all costs. But here's what it says, quote, the hearing appeared to be going smoothly before before Judge Noreka uh, questioned whether the agreement that meant Mr. Biden would be immune from prosecution for other possible crimes, including violations related to representing foreign governments in perpetuity. When a top prosecutor in the case said that it would not, Chris Clark, Mr. Biden's lead lawyer, initially hesitated and then said the government's position would make the agreement null and void. In other words, they were not interested in a plea agreement that would not protect Hunter Biden in perpetuity. And if they pr- they protected Hunter Biden from prosecution, by extension, that would also protect the president of the United States. After a recess in which the lawyers from both sides scrambled to hash out an agreement, Judge Noreka, who earlier had said she felt she was being asked to rubber stamp the agreement, said she could not accept the plea deal. Hunter Biden then pled not guilty to the tax charges and the hearing was over. The article goes on to mention that Hunter Biden is also facing a felony gun charge. Now, there are lots of people in Wyoming that have that have faced similar prosecutions for far simpler, um, you know, acts, something, you know, simpler and more innocent. A lot of people have faced the prospect of losing their gun rights simply by doing something that in some cases they thought they were doing the right thing. But a gun crime, and this is fascinating because it's Joe Biden's big thing. He's going to outlaw assault weapons and all of that, take dangerous weapons off off the streets. And here his son is lying on an ATF form to obtain a handgun. And the lie that he that he told was that he wasn't addicted to drugs. The article continues, the plea agreement granting Hunter broad immunity would make it harder to dig into his murky overseas business deals, deals which increasingly appear to involve his father. Consider what's come out recently. Senator Chuck Grassley last week released an unclassified FBI document detailing reports from a highly credible informant who says the founder and CEO of Burisma, uh, Mikola Zolchevsky bragged about paying the Bidens $10 million to make the oil and gas company's legal problems disappear. And of course, that's just what happened. After then, President Joe Biden, by his own admission, threatened to withhold aid from Ukraine if Shokin wasn't fired. Here's President Joe Biden saying as much. 
Listen to this. Um, I remember going over convincing our team, our <coughs> others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah. I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money." Oh, son of a bitch! <laughs> Got fired, and they put in place someone who was solid. Son of a bee, he got fired. That's the, pre- the now president of the United States admitting that he leveraged taxpayer dollars to benefit his son, Hunter Biden. The prosecutor in question was looking into Biden's activities with the company Burisma. So right there, you have a perfect example of our president, not our president, but the president of the United States saying that he used taxpayer dollars to help out his son. Now, why did he do that? Because Joe Biden was profiting off of his son's activities. That much has been very, very clear. And anybody who claims that there's nothing to see here uh, is, is frankly off their rocker. Now, what after the break, I want to I want to continue with this Hunter Biden story, and I want to explain just what happened during that hearing. And then we're going to continue on. I've got a couple of more stories that I want to talk about on this theme of the public-private partnership. So we'll do that after the break. This segment of the program is brought to you by Morton Buildings. While I'm not so naive to believe that there isn't a torrential downpour in our future, it's finally summer in Wyoming. And while you might be a little bit late, it's certainly time for you to consider starting to build that project you've been dreaming about all winter long. It doesn't really matter how big of a building you've been thinking about, whether it's a garage or an outbuilding or a barn or maybe a huge roping arena so that you can practice your rodeo stuff all winter long or even a gigantic warehouse for your business. The two guys you need to talk to are Nick and Jesse at Morton Buildings. Their phone number is 307-674-2532. They are the experts in metal building construction, and nobody is going to do a better job than they will. So give them a call. Again, their phone number is 307-674-2532, or you can check them out on their website at mortonbuildings.com. Yesterday, I had to go down to Casper and pick up a few things, and then back home to northeastern Wyoming. It was hot. And still, it hadn't cooled down all that much when I got to the base of the bighorns. The one part of my body that did not feel like a screaming inferno was my feet. That's because I was wearing my Buffalo Wool Company socks. Now, I know a lot of people say that you only wear wool in the winter, but it's not true, my friends. Wool will keep you warm in the winter and cool and dry in the summer. Now, if you want the best pair of socks that you've ever put on your feet, Go to their website, the Buffalo Wolves CO, and get you a pair of the most incredible socks that you're ever going to wear. That's the Buffalo Wool Company. And now, back to the annals of everything that politicians are doing wrong. 
former federal prosecutor Will Scharf posted on his Twitter account yesterday, and <laughs> recently I've become more of a user of Twitter than I ever have in the past, uh, and it's, it's mainly because I didn't see the benefit before, now I do. But anyway, I found this on Twitter, and this guy's a former federal prosecutor in Missouri, and right now he's running for the Missouri Attorney General. Now, this is a little bit complicated, but just go through it with me. So what he says is an agreement not to prosecute Hunter for FARA violations, and that's the foreign, um, you know, the foreign, if you're dealing in for, with foreign countries, you have to register with the federal government. I can't remember exactly what that's called. Um, and other crimes in return for his pleading guilty to the tax mis misdemeanors, for example, would usually be a C1A plea. This is an open, transparent, and subject to judicial approval. In Hunter's case, according to what folks in the courtroom have told me, and this me being this Will Scharf guy, Hunter's plea was structured under the Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 11C1B. I know that doesn't really mean anything to you or me, but it's a different criminal procedure, which is usually just a plea in return for a joint sentencing recommendation only and contain no information on its face about potential charges and contain no clear agreement by the Department of Justice to forego prosecution of other charges. Instead, the Department of Justice and Hunter's lawyers effectively hid that part of the agreement in what was publicly described as a pretrial diversion agreement uh, relating to um, U.S. Code 922 G3 for the gun charge against Hunter for being a drug user in possession of a firearm. That pretrial diversion agreement was as written, was actually much broader than just the gun charge. If Hunter were to complete probation, the pretrial diversion agreement prevented the Department of Justice from ever bringing charges against Hunter for any crimes relating to the offense conduct discussed in the plea agreement, which was purposefully written to include his foreign influence peddling operations in China and elsewhere. So, in other words, they put the facts in the plea agreement but put their non-prosecution agreement in the diversion agreement. So those are two different things, effectively hiding the full scope of what the Department of Justice was offering and Hunter was obtaining through these proceedings. Hunter's upside from this whole deal was vast immunity from future from further prosecution if he finished a couple of years of probation and the public wouldn't be any wiser because none of this was clearly stated on the face of the plea agreement as would normally be the case. But Judge Noreka smelled a rat. I love that quotation. She understood that the lawyers were trying to paint her into a corner and hide the ball. Instead, she backed DOG and Hunter's attorn attorneys into a corner by pulling all the details out into the open and then indicating she wasn't going to approve a deal as broad as what she had discovered. All right. So what that just told you is the United States Department of Justice tried to trick a judge into proving a plea agreement which would make a criminal and and drug user crack smoking hunter biden immune from any future prosecutions and again the article that i brought to you earlier all of this is to protect his dad because if hunter can't be prosecuted for any future violations then it makes it much harder to dig up anything on Joe Biden because, of course, he's immune and you can't prosecute him. Now, ask yourself, would you get this same treatment from the Department of Justice? I mean, honestly, if the DOJ showed up at your door and said, we have a warrant for your arrest. By the way, why hasn't Hunter been arrested? Anyway, interesting. Would you get the same treatment? Absolutely not. You wouldn't. So that's Hunter Biden.
So it's not just Hunter, it's also Hunter's attorneys from The Blaze this morning. Judge Noreka is threatening Hunter Biden's attorneys with sanctions unless they explain a fake call to a clerk, a congressional clerk, asking that testimony from IRS whistleblowers be removed from the case. The Daily Mail reported Tuesday that Delaware Judge Mary Ellen Noreka excoriated the attorneys after the plot was discovered. House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith alerted Noreka that someone had called the court clerk and misrepresented herself as Smith's attorney, that is, the chairman's attorney, requesting to remove 448 pages of congressional testimony from the IRS whistleblowers. When Smith's real attorney told the clerk this was an error, they fired off a missive to Biden's attorney who claimed that the clerk had taken down the testimony on his own. Smith reportedly provided evidence that the request had come from a staffer to t- with ties to Biden's attorneys. So here you have Biden's attorneys colluding with or messing with Congress. So now you have the the partnership agreement between the federal government attorneys, the the, the judicial branch, and now Congress. And here's one more for you. This one comes from from Breitbart this morning, written by Jonathan Turley. It's an article entitled Democrat Rep Admits There Are Questions That Need to Be Asked on the Biden Scandal, But I Don't Have Any. Quote, in an interview, Berman asked, on the subject of what could be a pending impeachment inquiry into President Biden, what questions, if any, do you have about Joe Biden's connection to Hunter Biden's business dealings? Democrat House member Madeline Dean answered, and I quote, I don't have any at this point, but certainly there are questions that can be asked and should be answered if there was any connection. But we don't see any evidence of that whatsoever. They're making it up out of whole cloth. Yeah, sure they are. Remember this? Um, I remember going over convincing our team or others to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over. Uh Uh-huh. Loan guarantees. And the president admitted it himself. But they're making up all of this out of whole cloth. So enter the media. So the media is telling you that all of this is nothing to see here. And Republicans are just making all of this up on their own. So you can't you can't push an effective message unless you have the media on your side. And certainly they do. But listen to this bullcrap that was provided by The Blaze. Uh, In an article published this morning entitled People Pounce After MSNBC-Linked Mehdi Hassan Suggests Imagining, quote, if liberals or the Dems had an actual dot, 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 and I quote, leftist media figure Mehdi Hassan suggested imagining a situation in which the left had an actual propaganda arm that frequently targeted former President Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, quote, Imagine if liberals or the Dems had a nationwide messaging apparatus, the actual propaganda arm, which pumped out Jared Kushner's name and alleged misdeeds daily, hundreds of times, he wrote. Then you start to understand the messaging imbalance in this country and how the GOP gets away with so much. You see what they're doing here? What they're telling you is almost always what they're doing. What they accuse conservatives and Republicans of, you could almost bet that they're doing exactly the same thing. So here you have this moron, uh, Mehdi Hassan, saying, well, you know, we don't have a propaganda arm. It's the Republicans that do. Ask yourself, 
When's the last time you actually saw a conservative news report? Ask yourself that. Now, maybe you've heard it on Fox News, but it's all independent media. Newsmax, News Nation, Real America News, all of those. But almost all of the major media outlets are, are basically propaganda arms of the Democrat Party. Almost all of them are. And the ones that you think aren't, well, perhaps you've been a little bit misled. After our final break, I'm going to bring you the story of what's been happening at Fox News. This one should blow your mind if you haven't already heard it. It's absolutely amazing. All of us have been led to believe that Fox News is the one conservative news outlet. But are they really? Well, we'll answer that question after our final break. But first, an absolutely egregious moment of self-aggrandizement. We'll finish up the program in just a second. But first, one more absolutely obscene profit timeout. Welcome to Cowboy State Politics Lessons in Self-Serving Gentlemanly Conduct. Lesson number one, the salon. Now, gentlemen, we all know that our better halves like their hair to look just right. And let's be honest, it helps us out too. We do like looking at attractive ladies. Now, the best place that that wife of yours can go to is to the Bombshell Studio in Sheridan. Christine Sturdivant is the only Redken specialist in Sheridan. So if your better half needs a new do or she just wants a touch-up on the one that she has, call Christine Sturdivant. Her phone number is 307-752-4844. That's the Bombshell Studio. This has been Cowboy State Politics Self-Serving Lessons in Gentlemanly Conduct. Do you like hot wings? Yeah, me too. In fact, I'm obsessed with them. And the best hot wings in the state of Wyoming are from the Winget Food Truck. They travel around the state, going from town to town. All you have to do is go to their Facebook page, The Wing It Food Truck, or go to CowboyStatePolitics.com and look underneath the Sponsors tab, and you'll find their schedule there. You know, I personally recommend the Garlic Parmesan Wings. They're absolutely amazing. But they've got several other different flavors, not just hot wings or garlic parmesan. You'll find exactly what you've been missing this entire time. So go to the website, CowboyStatePolitics.com, and look underneath the Sponsors tab. And that way, you can plan your entire week around where the Winget food truck is going to be. And now, the conclusion to the program. Late last week, The Blaze posted an article, a, an exclusive bombshell article, um, entitled, The Satanic Temple Has Been Removed from Fox News' Internal List of Charities Eligible for Donation. You heard that right, The Satanic Temple. And I quote, Following The Blaze's recent report detailing Fox News' apparent willingness to match employees' charitable donations to radical leftist organizations, it appears the nominally conservative company has stealthily made a change. The Blaze previously reported that the company would match donations up to $1,000 to the Satanic Temple, the Trevor Project, Planned Parenthood, and local pa Planned Parenthood branches, 
and the Southern Poverty, Poverty Law Center on its Fox Giving app. Two current Fox News employees and one former Fox News producer spoke to The Blaze on con condition of anonymity. One source provided screenshots confirming the allegations and the other two provided corroborating testimony. A Fox employee also took Rish Ricky Ratliff Fellman, director of programming at The Blaze, through the company portal and showed her some of the donation matches she had seen in the screenshots, demonstrating the accuracy of the insider's claims. The prospect that Fox News subscribers might be made complicit in the company's subsidy of anti-Christian liber libertines, social constructivists, abortionists, or leftist smear merchants prompted backlash online, which the co-founder of the Satanic Temple characterized as right-wing purity spiral. Fox News has, has since quietly dropped the Satanic Temple from its roster of eligible charities, according to a current Fox News employee. So think about what I just read to you, my friends. The news outfit that most conservatives, most Republicans for that matter, look to as their conservative source of news is donating money to the very organizations that we all think that they are against, the Satanic Temple being one of them. Most of us would be outraged if a Satanic Temple showed up in our town or if we learned of one. But here we have a news company that claims to be one thing while we're watching it, and then on the back end is donating money or matching employee contributions on the other. You don't do that by happenstance, my friends. When you actively choose to make a donation, you do it because you want to. Think about the, all the times that you donate to specific causes, whether it be you know dropping money in the collection plate or at our cowboy church. We don't we don't pass the collection plate. We have a donation. Uh, it's an old flower tin. It's kind of cute, uh, but you do that because you want to. Nobody's really forcing you to do it. It's an active choice. And the fact that Fox News is giving money to the Satanic Temple speaks volumes to what they really believe. At the very least, it's hypocrisy. Now, I don't know where else that you can get the breadth of news that Fox News offers, uh, but there are some independent news channels. You're listening to one right now. Now, while I don't cover everything, uh, I try my best to bring out the stories that I think are important. And certainly in the Cowboy State, there really is only one other conservative news outlet, the Wyoming News Chronicle. The rest of them are on the side of the liber liberals, my friends. Every, almost every single new hometown newspaper um, is owned by a, a wacko liberal. Think about the Buffalo Bulletin. <laughs> that, those people will, will advocate for any tax or any mandate or any position taking away your freedom. The Sheridan Press is the same. Sheridan Media is the same. Casper Star Tribune. Um, and a lot of these papers are owned by a very small group of people, and all of them are decidedly liberal. So what do you do? Well, you have to seek out independent news sources. One of the reasons why I started looking at Twitter more is I could find, you know, and you got to put up with the liberal hacks on there as well, but you can find uh, articles like I, like I wrote you or read you from that former federal prosecutor. You have to do your own homework. As it relates to that, don't believe a single thing that I say on this program. Do your own homework. And this audience by far, and I have to tell you, this is one thing that amazes me about this program. A lot of the times um, I get, after I do a program, I get messages from, from you guys saying, hey, could you provide me with this article? I don't see it on the website. Um, just last week, 
Um, there was the FOIA request from the Fremont County Library Board that I forgot to put on the website, and I was corrected almost immediately. That's awesome. It means that you guys are doing your own homework and you're, you're finding out facts for, them, for yourself. Why is that important? Well, because when you get into conversations with people, you have to be able to know the facts yourselves. You can't just say, David said this, because if you do, most people are going to call you a right-wing nut job. So you have to do your own homework. And that's one of the amazing things about this program. And it relate, and, and you got to do the same thing with other news outlets, whether it be Fox News or Newsmax or, or articles you find on Twitter. Do your own homework. Now, back to this whole collusion thing. I mentioned to you that it's, it's entered the halls of Congress, but it's also the federal government censoring media outlets. We've all heard about this. But here's a piece from Jim Jordan in the Oversight Committee. This happened four day, uh, six days ago. Excuse me. Take a listen to this. Gentleman yields back. Uh, the chair now recognizes himself. Hard evidence. Mr. Johnson said that uh, we're not only witnesses to censorship, we were victims. The Republican website on the House Judiciary Committee posted the story, and it was limited to where it could go. You got to they 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 exercise censorship of the House Judiciary Republican account for goodness sake, Miss Wiley. Uh, you were a lawyer for the ACLU? I was. Mr. Kennedy, I remember when the ACLU defended the first, they were the champions of the First Amendment. You remember that? You remember that, ACLU? I remember when the ACLU represented Nazis who they, uh, who, who they were appalled by. Appalled, disgusted right. by, and yet they would defend the crazy things they said, right? That, that's how much the First Amendment meant to them, right? Exactly. I want to go back to where Mr. Stubbe was. I want to talk about this hard evidence that Mr. Goldman says doesn't exist. I want to read from the, from the facts. This is what the White House was saying. I want to go to just three statements. One, cannot stress the degree. This is statements from, our, from the Biden White House to social media. Cannot stress the degree to which this needs to be resolved immediately. Please remove this account immediately. Same kind of thing they put on yours. Remove ASAP. But here's the, here's the better one. Here's the better one. Mr. Flaherty, who ran this COVID operation misinformation concept at the White House, Mr. Flaherty said this, not to sound like a broken record, how much content is being demoted and how effective are you at mitigating reach and how quickly? And we should just translate that because this is real simple. How much censorship are you doing it? How much censorship are you doing and how quickly are you doing it? But I think the kicker is what Jin Psaki, the press secretary, said back in 2021. Look at this. Now think about this. The press secretary, I mean, they, they we're talking about the White House, considered the center of freedom on the planet. The press secretary in the press room says this. We are in regular touch with these social media platforms, and those engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff, but also members of our COVID-19 team. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook that spread disinformation, their definition, of course. Saki also stated one of the White House asks was of social media companies to create a robust enforcement strategy. So you got the press secretary in the press room in the White House saying we're going to limit the press. Now, that is frightening. That is frightening. And Ms. Wiley from the ACLU, lawyer with the ACLU, thinks that's somehow appropriate. We know it's not. And their number one target, Mr. Kennedy, was you. Was you, a Democrat. Correction. Their number one target is you, my friends. By now, all of you have seen the Jason Aldean video. And if you haven't, you should really go watch it. It's called Try That in a Small Town. Go watch it. 
there are scenes from the protests for BLM and Antifa in Portland and all over the place. Now, the left, just like they did the movie Sound of Freedom, is trying to discredit it as, you know, in any way possible. But listen to this article. It's not, again, it's also Fox News. From Breitbart this morning, Fox forces Jason Aldean to remove BLM riot footage from Try That in a Small Town music video. So, and they're talking about a local Fox 5 Atlanta station here. From the article, and I quote, Producers of Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town music video have quietly removed archival footage of Black Lives Matter protesters after Fox threatened legal action, according to a news report. The footage in question is a brief series of clips from Fox 5 Atlanta showing BLM rioters violently protesting in the streets, TMZ reported. Sources told TMZ the company that produced the video reached out to Fox back in May and asked for permission to use six, six seconds of news footage. Fox reportedly asked for more information, specifically the lyrics of the song, but the production company sent Fox a link to the song rather than the lyrics in writing. A few weeks ago, Fox reached out, reached out to the production company and asked them to edit out the footage to avoid any legal action, and the production company complied. TMZ. Sources described the request as a polite ultimatum. So now you have Fox, Fox News, albeit a Fox affiliate in Atlanta, asking for footage of the BLM riots to be removed from Jason Aldean's video. Why? Why would they do that? Now, I'm certainly they're clothing it under some sort of copyright infringement or something like that. But why don't they want you to see that? It's because they don't want you to believe that the left is as violent as they are. They don't want you to see that the left burned down our cities. They don't want you to see how violent they can be over uh, and, and how, how uh, insistent they are that their narrative is the truth, that everything boils down to race. They don't want you to see how ridiculous it is. And they certainly don't want you in your own small town to say, we're not going to put up with that crap here. Kind of a good news story to end today's program with. In Buffalo, my dad my dad owns a big building. There's a big sign out front. And we decided to change the sign the other day. And one part of it says, try that in our small towns. Ah, obviously a play on the Jason Aldean song. And I thought when we put it up there that there would be, you know, all sorts of liberals going after it. But quite the reverse is true. If you want a good read, go check out my Facebook page where I posted the picture of the sign and just read the comments. Almost all of them are in support of the sign. It's because in Wyoming, we all live in a small town, even, even if you live in one of the bigger ones, Sheridan, Casper, Cheyenne. Uh, really, by comparison, it's all a small town. And while we don't always agree with each other, and we don't always want to uh, uh, to further everybody's beliefs, we do we do believe in your right to say the things that you believe. And more than that, though, we stick up for the people that are in our small towns, right or wrong or indifferent. We stick up for them. I'm reminded of a, a quote BLM protest that was staged in Buffalo, Wyoming. Yeah, get that. I mean, it was honestly, I kind of laughed at it, but. There was when it started, there was half a dozen people and they marched down Fort Street and down Main Street to the town square. And 
if you know any of the people that were that were involved in it, they were among the more privileged, and I don't mean that they were rich. What I mean is those fam- those people that participated got more help from members of our community than probably anybody else. And they were bringing awareness, although however misguided I might think it is, um, they were allowed to protest and not a single person shouted them down. There didn't end up being, you know, uh, big anti-BLM signs, though most of us were probably thinking about it. We respected their right to protest, however misguided it might be. And that's how most Wyoming citizens are. We believe in your right to believe the way that you think, that you want to, that you, uh, we believe in the way that you want to live your life, whatever that happens to be. And we have to resist the attacks from the government, from companies, from the media, from social media, to try to influence our way of life. They are in collusion with each other. They are one giant industrial complex, as Dwight Eisenhower warned us about. So you got to do your own homework and you got to realize these things for what they are. When you see something that doesn't quite seem right, well, it's probably not. And all it takes is a little bit of homework and you can figure it out for yourself. Well, that'll about do it for today's installment of Cowboy State Politics Live. Don't forget about Saturday's weekend update where we're going to rehash the whole American Library Association thing and its connections to the University of Wyoming. I gave you just a snip of it during the program, but I'm telling you, it's fascinating. Wait, wait until I read to you from the article that this lady that this lady published in that magazine. But for now, well, uh, wait, before I let you go, uh, new episodes of the program are published every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday morning. And don't forget about the Thursday live program, which begins every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. You know, this program. If you want to listen to back back episodes, you can go to the website, cowboystatepolitics.com, or you can find them on any of your podcasting apps. But for now, from the base of the Bighorns, in beautiful Buffalo, Wyoming, I'm Big Roger.